Our scripture this morning comes from Colossians chapter 1, verses 24 through chapter 2, verse 7. You'll find this passage on page 983 in the Bible in the chair in front of you. Colossians 1, 24 through 2, 7. Now I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake, and in my flesh I am filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body, that is, the church, of which I became a minister according to the stewardship from God that was given to me for you, um, to make the word of God fully known, the mystery hidden for ages and generations but now revealed to his saints. To them, God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Him we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. For this I toil, struggling with all his energy that he powerfully works within me. For I want you to know how great a struggle I have for you and for those at Laodicea and for all who have not seen me face to face, that their hearts may be encouraged, being knit together in love, to reach all the riches of full assurance of understanding and the knowledge of God's mystery, which is Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. I say this in order that no one may delude you with plausible arguments. For though I am absent in body, yet I am with you in spirit, rejoicing to see your good order and the firmness of your faith in Christ. Therefore, as you received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him, rooted and built up in him and established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thank you, John. You may be seated. We continue in our series on Colossians this morning, and as you can see, we have quite a bit of ground to cover, and so I'm going to pray for us, then we'll take a look at this uh, passage, which happens to be a testimony from the Apostle Paul. Father in heaven, thank you so much for this building, this place, these people. Thank you for the beautiful weather outside. Thank you for uh, the silliness of children. Thank you that it brings us joy. And I pray, Lord, that as we go through life, which is marked with both difficulty and joy, that we would remember you're in charge of it all. I pray that we would listen to this passage this morning, that you would help me to be clear and confident, that you would guard my mouth from false teaching, Lord, that you would guard us all from hearing false things, but we would hear the word of God, we would be encouraged, we'd be knit together in love, we would mature, and Lord, I pray that the power and the fruit of your word would be in this place this morning. I pray these things in the name of Jesus, amen. Again, we have here... um, a lot of information, but what we generally have, as far as the letter of Colossians is concerned, is you have a testimony from Paul about his ministry, and in that testimony, we see several things about his ministry that will be uh, uh, relevant to us this morning, and then he finishes his testimony with kind of a a two-faceted command, a command. So, 
First of all, let's just take this one thing at a time. If Paul's giving a testimony about his ministry, let's ask the question, what is his ministry? And the first few verses give us an answer. Verse 24 says, now I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake, and in my flesh I am filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body, that is the church, of which I became a minister. We can stop there. So first things first, there's a couple things we want to touch touch on here. Uh, This lacking in Christ's afflictions is kind of a clunky interpretation of the Greek. What you want to get from this is that Paul sees his suffering as an extension, a continuation, in fact, an expected result of being a part of the ministry of Jesus Christ. But then we see here, the first part of his ministry is that he is a committed servant to the church, the church. That's the first thing. Secondly, the rest of verse five, of which I became a minister according to the stewardship from God that was given to me to make the word of God fully known. So Paul has received this thing and now he is disseminating this thing. That's what stewardship is. You've been given something to take care of and now you're taking care of it. And and the way he takes care of it is by telling people about it. And so he is a servant of the church. He's a minister of according uh, to make the word of God fully known. And then he finishes by specifying that this word of God is verse 26, the mystery hidden for the ages and generations, but now revealed to his saints. So the next question might be, well, what's this mystery? This is kind of strange language. Well, in several places, you can actually read a direct definition in Ephesians 3, 6. You can mark that in your, uh, your notes there. But here in several places, he hints at it. In fact, in verse 2, 2, he says, um, uh, to reach all the riches of a full assurance and understanding the knowledge of God's mystery, which is Christ. There it is. What's the mystery? Jesus. And then we have um, in verse 27 as well. How great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of the mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. So what's the mystery? The mystery is Christ. The mystery is multifaceted. There's one part of the mystery that is the fact that Gentiles are being included in the family of God. That was a mystery, Paul calls it, that says it wasn't uh, apparent throughout history, but now after Jesus has come, we know this to be true. Also, part of the mystery is that God would accomplish the salvation of his people solely through Jesus, not through sacrifices, not through Israel, the land, the physical land of Israel, not through any temple worship or ceremonies, but through Jesus, the life, the death, and the resurrection of Jesus. And so as he says to the Corinthian church, what does he preach? Jesus Christ and him crucified. It's that simple. That's the mystery. That's the message that Paul is carrying forward. The mystery is the gospel of Jesus and his ministry is to bring that word of God to saints and sinners alike. That's the ministry of Paul. As we see in his testimony, he talks about what that that ministry has been like. There's two major words or two kind of moods he's been in throughout this time. And so we see scattered throughout the passage, uh, 24, 29, and 2, 1, that he strives and he suffers for this ministry. You see here it says, now I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake. In verse 29, he has that striving, struggling language. For this I toil, struggling with all his energy that he powerfully works within within me. And then he hits it again. I want you to know how great a struggle I have for you and those at Laodicea. This is not a pity party, though. (laughs) He's not saying, wow, wow, look at me, poor me. He also is saying, listen, throughout the struggle, throughout the suffering, I rejoice. He says that word two times. 
the very beginning, now I rejoice in what? His sufferings. And he says in verse five, I rejoice seeing the good order. He results, the results and the power of the word of God are bringing Paul joy. Although it's also bringing him suffering and it's also hard work, what is the end result? His testimony is this, as I see the power of the word of God go out, I rejoice in it. I rejoice in it. So simply said, Paul's testimony is that the word of God holds great power, it bears great fruit, and as he has gone about the ministry that Jesus gave him, he has seen that power and that fruit face-to-face, up close and personal. And so he's giving this testimony, and he finishes his testimony with a command about words, about voices. He is in the ministry of spreading the voice, the word of God, and as the word of God goes out, it has competition, and so he's going to give us some commands, which is very relevant for us. This is very relevant for us. Why? Because in our world, think about it this way, there are voices coming at us from every angle, every medium you can think of. I'm not talking about like hearing voices in your head. If you do that, maybe talk to a professional afterwards. Um, But this is billboards, TV shows, radio stations, friends we talk to, books we read, magazines, reality TV, fictional TV, anything. They are presenting a message. It is a voice. And then the question would ensue, what voices of these, what words of these are making their way in to our lives? How are they seeping into our belief system? How are they changing us? So the testimony that Paul gives about the power of the word and why we should be solely committed to the word of God above all other voices is what we're going to read about today. So we're going to see three different ways the word of God shows its power, shows its fruit, and then we'll look at that command at the end for an application. So first, as the title of the sermon is, in the wake of the word, in the way as the word goes out, as the word moves forward, what happens in its wake? First of all, churches are formed. You see this word church in verse 24. The word church is a, the Greek word ekklesia, which simply means a gathering of people. A gathering of people. So verse 27, now I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake, and in my flesh I am filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body, that is, the church, of which I became a minister. Paul, as he has brought the word of God out into the Gentile world, what has happened? People who have never heard about Jesus, never heard about this kind of thing, are hearing about it, believing in it, and becoming saved. That's the way we say it. Here, the word is saints, ones who are made holy. As the word of God goes forth, Christians are made. Christians are made. And that's not the end of it. What happens? As Christians are made, think about Paul's ministry. Think about the ministry of Epaphras and Timothy. Christians are made in a city. And what do they do? The first thing they do after they're saved is they gather them together in the church. The church. They're assembled together. To these, the saints, God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Jesus moving forward in the Gentile world, creating churches is a work, is a fruit of the power of the word of God. The church itself is formed by the word of God. This is how it was at the beginning. This is how it is today. As the word goes forth, churches are born. This is why our church is passionate about this thing called church planting. 
It's not about creating another convenient worship service someplace else. It's about making an outpost of the gospel where it is not known. Church, we have to remember and we have to know and we have to agree that the word of God holds the power to save souls. It holds that power. And we as a church should desire to see that power on display. And so think about this. We understand this, I think, as far as foreign missions is concerned, that there are people out there that have never heard the free gospel of Jesus Christ. We understand this, and we understand that that's not good. So what do we do? We commission missionaries, and we send them out, or we call missionaries from that place to preach the word of God so they might hear it, believe it, and be bound up in the body of Christ. And what happens after that? Churches are created. That's what we do on foreign missions. What different should we do in our own backyard? Nothing. There are people in our neighborhoods that have never heard the full and true free gospel of Jesus Christ. We're in the Bible belt, certainly, but there's lots of holes in it, okay? That's a weird analogy. I don't think it works, but you get the idea, right? Um, There are people who don't know the gospel that live next to us. And so the difference is we're not gathering up one person to go out. We are the missionaries, bringing the word of God to our neighborhoods. This is what Paul and his compadres were doing then. This is what we're doing now. This is what we're doing now. And so eventually in years to come, when this plant that we've been talking about in a very nebulous way, when it leaves our church, again, we're not just offering another convenient, another nice place to go and worship. We're sending out the gospel to see people come to know Jesus Christ. That's why we're here. So we're going to send out missionaries and watch the word of God do its work. In the wake of the word of God, churches are born, churches are formed. But the word of God's not only good for conversion, actually plays an important role in the life of the believer. And we can see in verses 28 and 29 that in the wake of the word, this is where maturity, Christian maturity is found. Look at me, uh, look, look at me, um, look with me. At verse 28, finishing the statement before, which is Christ knew the hope of glory, him we proclaim. So Jesus we proclaim. Jesus is the hope of glory. Jesus is the word of God. To the saints, to the saints, Jesus is proclaimed. This is not an evangelistic statement. This is a proclaiming of Jesus to people who already know Jesus. And so what we have to understand first as we move through this statement is it is good, so don't get out your pitchforks and your torches, hear hear me out, deep theology is good. It's good. But honestly, church, we never outgrow our need for the simple gospel. We don't outgrow it. So it's good to understand things deeply. It's good to understand things that are beyond our brains, but we should never leave the proclamation of Jesus Christ in our own hearts and in our churches. And so as they proclaim Christ, what do they do? This next sentence is, is very helpful. It's very structured, and it gives us a very clear application. Warning everyone, teaching everyone with all wisdom. So let me give you some definitions. Warning, and I think we understand this, warning is waving someone off wrong ideas in this case. So as they proclaim Christ, one thing happens, and that is as we see wrong things that are not aligned with the teaching of Christ, we're saying avoid those things, avoid those things. 
Then we have this word teaching, which is the opposite, giving right ideas and skills. So not only is it don't believe this or don't follow this, it is here is Jesus, follow this, this is right. And then we have wisdom, which is the application using actively all those teachings and warnings. Very systematic, very simple. So warning people away from wrong ideas, giving people the right ideas and skills through the scriptures, and then uh, helping them uh, use those things actively in real life situations. This is, if you are curious, the basic format of our education philosophy here at Grace. We need as a church to know the Bible. We need to know what is in it and what is not in it. We need to know theology. We need to know how, how the, the, the Bible is interpreted and how we need to be trained and how to, to put those things into practice. We're not just trying to blow our minds up and know more and more and more. We have to use it. We're called to use it. And so we pray and we try that every educational offering we have here at this church, church aims at those targets. This is the, the, the format of group discipleship. Think about this. As a group, a smaller group, maybe not a class, what are you doing together? You, you are knowing the word of God. You're studying the word of God together. You're, you're knowing together and learning together what it means and what it doesn't mean. And then intentionally together putting those things into practice. And what good is discipleship without accountability? What do you do? We hold each other accountable as we, and we pray and support each other through difficulty, through temptation, and through failure. That's the format of discipleship, warning and teaching and wisdom. It's also the basic format of personal worship, Bible study. What do we need to do? We regularly read the word. And by the Holy Spirit and through study materials, we know and understand it. And then we have talked about this at length at other times, but then we have this, this application questions. Is there a sin to confess, a promise to believe, an example to follow, a command to obey or a truth to know? Listen, it's all systematic, but it's all pointing at the same thing. So why is it so systematic? Because the end of verse 28, that we may present everyone mature in Christ. That's the goal, presenting this idea of formally giving up to God. Paul and his, his partners in the gospel and, and leaders in the church are, this idea is giving the church to God in this formal way, in what state? Maturity, maturity. Everyone, every individual Christian mature in Christ. Well, how does this come about? There is no other way to mature in our faith other than through the word of God. There's no other way. There's no other way. We talked a few weeks ago about the idea where growth takes place. Where does growth take place? As we submit to the truth and the authority of who God is. Where is that found? The scriptures. There's no other way to grow and mature in our faith without or outside of the word of God. So maturity, where does it come from? The habit, the system of opening our hearts and minds to the power of God's word, believing it and obeying it. That pro it's a process. It's a process. And as we submit ourselves to it, we mature. And so we've seen how the word of God, as it moves forward, it forms churches, it facilitates maturity, and lastly, Exiting chapter one into chapter two, we can see that through the word of God and the wake of the word of God, the family of God is strengthened. It's strengthened. Paul is talking again in verses 29 into chapter two, verse one, about his struggle for the word of God and its particular end result. Look at this. For this I toil. I love this verse. It's on the wall of my office. 
For this I toil, struggling with all of his energy that he powerfully works within me. For I want to know how great a struggle I have. I want you to know how great a struggle I have for you and for those at Laodicea and for all those who have not seen me face to face. Why does he want them to know this? That their hearts may be encouraged, being knit together in love. So as Paul has seen in his, his ministry, the word of God goes forth, people are saved, churches are formed, individuals are matured, and as individuals are matured and the word of God is repeated and proclaimed into the body, as others are strengthened in Christ, so the body of Christ is strengthened together. That's what happens. Under the word of God, as we learn from it, as we follow it, we find strength together. The body is drawn together. And I love this, to reach. So there's an activity, there's a movement to it. We are persevering together for this end. And what is that end? To reach all the riches of full assurance of understanding and the knowledge of God's mystery, again, which is Christ. Full confidence together as we sit under the teaching of, of the word, the word of God, when we study the word together, as we are matured individually together, we are strengthened and we are encouraged together. That's what happens. So these phrases, knit together, assurance, perseverance, later he's gonna use the word firmness in your faith, rooted and built up in him, established in the faith. These are words of strength. They're words of unity. We need each other, church. We need each other. We need the fruit and the power of the word of God in our midst. This is not something we do alone and do it well. We might find some maturity, but we're gonna miss out in the maturity and the strength that comes in numbers. And so we see here the testimony of Paul. This really is the process of the ministry of Christ. This is the process of the ministry of Jesus. The word goes out from Jesus. It creates new believers. It gathers them together in churches. It brings those Christians to maturity and it strengthens them together. This is the process of the ministry of the word of God. And so Paul, keeping all that in mind, considering the power and the centrality of the word of God in the Christian life, he finishes with this command about voices and about words. Because of what he says in verse three, in, which is Christ in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge, because that is true, he says this in verse four, don't be deluded. <laughs> don't be deluded. I say this in order that no one may delude you with plausible arguments. That Those words mean don't be deceived by things that sound good. Don't be deceived by things that sound good. In fact, the most dangerous proclamation of truth that we can make is, well, that sounds good to me. <laughs> that, that doesn't work. That's not good enough. You see, the word of God has an enemy. We talked about this already. And that enemy, in, in fact, is not very powerful. And so what does the enemy of the word of God have to do? It uses trickery. It's been doing it since Genesis 3. <laughs> If you're familiar with that story, it uses questions and trickery. And what does it do? It takes a little bit of the truth and then it adds it to a whole bunch of lies so that it sounds good. And so plausible arguments aren't always outright lies. And oftentimes they use the same terms as scripture and use the same ideas as scripture. Well then, Ransom, how do we know if these voices that we're hearing we're seeing, we're reading, are good or not? How do we know if they are from God or not? And we're back to this idea from the very beginning of the book of Colossians. This comes back to the idea of the original versus the counterfeit. 
Paul is giving us the original in the word of God so that we don't have to ask that question or wonder. So what we have to ask is, does it match what the word of God says? That's the question we ask. That's the litmus test. And so he moves forward and he says, listen, instead of trying to figure out what sounds good to you, instead of trying to figure out is this right or wrong, instead of being deluded or deceived by things that are plausible arguments, instead we have something else that we can do. We can walk in Christ. Look at verses six and seven. Therefore, as you received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him, rooted and built up in him and established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. Instead of determining what sounds good to me, we should walk in Christ, who is the word of God. Be rooted and built up in Jesus, who is the word of God. I'm impressed consistently as I've been studying Colossians. I think grace as a church, we're very similar to this church. I think we're very similar to the church at Colossae. They loved the gospel, okay? We love the gospel here, we do. They took care of each other very well. We saw that in some of the early verses. And guess what? Here's the church. We, we do that well. The Holy Spirit is active in our lives, and we see need, and we respond to each other's needs. It's a beautiful thing. And although Colossae, these Christians, had not apostatized yet, had not abandoned the true gospel yet, there was danger of it. That's why Paul's writing this letter. They're being attacked with false messages, wrong voices, And I think just like them, we are always, church, we are always in danger of believing wrongly. Always. And if we think we're not, that's not a good place to be. We must be on guard, thinking about the hymn, Come Thou Fount, prone to wander, Lord, I feel it, prone to leave the God I love. That's our heart. That's our heart. We want to find what sounds good and ignore the scripture, because it's easier. It's what we want. And so, reading this passage from Colossians, hearing Paul's testimony, understanding that our hearts are prone to wander, seeing the power and the fruit of the word of God, we come to some application first. Reading our Bibles is not about impressing God or checking a box. Reading our Bibles is about the fact that the truth is at stake. The truth is at stake. Our maturity is at stake. The steadfastness of our faith, the strength of our church is at stake. That's what reading our Bible is about. It isn't about being better than other people. Oh, how much did you read today, John? Oh, my word, that's not very much. Um, We had that conversation just this morning. Um, The word of God is our only access to hope. It's our only access to hope. It's our only access to wisdom that we don't have. Reading Paul David Tripp's devotion this week, New Morning Mercies, he starts one of his, uh, this really resonates with me, I'm not sure if it's because I'm from New England or whatever, but um, he starts one of his devotions with this phrase, we don't really know that much. (laughs) That's, and it's true, we don't. We don't know that much. We need the wisdom and understanding that only is truly found in Jesus Christ. And so soaking in scripture, spending time with God, it's not a chore, it's our very energy, it's our power source. So church, what do we have? We have this great, amazing gift of the word of God, and we are witness right now in our midst to to its power, 
And so the call that I have for us, the call that Paul has for us this morning is let's not be deluded. Let's not be deceived. Let's, as a family, be rooted in the word. Let's be built up in the word. Let's be established in the word. Let's firm up our faith in the word together. Let's take the word out from this place and watch its power work. There's power in the word of God, and I believe as a church, we ought to be looking for that power together. One of the evidences or one of the activities that we participate in recognizing the fact that the word of God creates the church or forms the church is the Lord's Supper. We gather together to eat this supper not by something we have done, not by something we have earned, not because we got the secret badge or or paid the fee. We come because of grace, because of grace, that's it. The word of God has extended itself to us and by the power of the Holy Spirit we have believed and because we believe, we believe that Jesus Christ has broken his body and shed his blood for us. And so we hear this verse from John 1 and the word became flesh and dwelt among us and we have seen his glory Glory as of the Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. And as we eat of the supper today, we eat of that word, grace and truth. We need him. We have no other hope but him. We profess him together and we are gathered as a family and we pray that this supper will strengthen us together, mature us in our walks and empower us to bring the word of God out to those who don't know it. And so this morning, together, what should we do? Why should we participate? If we confess these things are true, that Jesus Christ is the word, he's the mystery, he's the only way to be saved, we confess that we indeed are sinners, we really don't know that much. If we have professed that to be true, we've been baptized, we are invited this morning to participate in this strengthening act of the family of God, the Lord's Supper. For any reason this morning, if you actively reject these things, that's not true. (laughs) Or you're in a place where maybe you believe them, but, but you are not ready to submit your life to Christ, to obey Christ. The Bible makes it clear that this invitation is not for you. And so we'd ask that you would abide by that. We've not had a prayer of confession this morning, so what I'm gonna ask us to do is to pray for just a few moments silently, certainly about this idea that we are here graciously gathered together, but also let's take a few moments quietly to confess our sin, confess our need, confess that we, we don't know that much and we don't do that much good, and so we need Jesus Christ. I'll gather us back together for a prayer of blessing in a moment. Father in heaven, as the prayer from the Puritan says that in a world of created, changeable things, Christ and his word remain unshaken. And so, this supper, we recognize it as a symbol 
of that root, that firm foundation, the unwavering power of the word of God. And so as we eat and drink, remind us that all our mercies come from Christ. All our forgiveness comes from Christ. All salvation comes from Hosanna. All mercy, all kindness, all love, all good things come from Emmanuel, God with us. He designed them, he purchased them, he promised them, and he delivers them, and how sweet it is to have the privilege to be so near our Lord in this meal. And I pray that you would bless our hearts with that nearness. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.